How can we as healthcare practitioners move from just providing disease management to providing true healthcare? That is the question, and this is the answer. Welcome to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast that helps you grow your practice and expand your skills as a practitioner. I'm Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast for wellness-minded people and professionals who are passionate about transforming our broken medical system into a true healthcare system. If you don't know how to order and interpret these tests we're going to be talking about today, you're putting people's lives at risk. Unfortunately, conventional cardiovascular testing misses imbalances that are correctable when detected in an early enough stage, and they can be deadly when they're missed. I'm Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo, and I believe that most diseases can be prevented or reversed. And I'm dedicated to empowering millions of people around the globe to go from disease and dysfunction into living their best lives possible. So let's talk about cardiovascular testing. And I'm not talking about imaging today, I'm talking about the blood tests. And the conventional lipid panel, right, which is the way that doctors assess for cardiovascular health, includes usually four markers, triglycerides, total cholesterol, HDL, and calculated LDL. What most people don't even realize is that the LDL isn't actually measured, it's calculated from the rest. And because so much is missed in the testing, that LDL calculation is not usually exactly right on. So what are we missing? What kind of other testing should everybody be looking at in their clients, patients who have cardiovascular risk, meaning they've had some sort of cardiovascular incident, whether it's a heart attack or a stroke, they have family history of heart disease. Like in my case, my mom and dad both died very young of heart disease. My grandmother did, I had a cousin who did, it's in the family. And also in people, I think anybody over 50, really should have this testing done because age starts to catch up with you. Abuses of diet and lifestyle and stress and blood sugar imbalances, et cetera, et cetera, all start to catch up. And so everybody should be tested when they're over 50. And when we do, we can find things that are correctable. So let's talk about some of these. So there's several things that affect clotting. And that will give us an indication if the person is at risk of clotting kind of problems. So what's that? Well, heart attack or stroke, right? Where a clot gets broken off and clogs an artery or even aneurysms. So let's look at some of these. Fibrinogen. Fibrinogen is a clotting indicator, but it can also be an indicator that there's some cancer in the body, right? So high levels of fibrinogen or even more accurately fibrinogen antigen can be measured and we can detect, is there a higher risk than normal of clotting? Another one that's gained popularity over the last few years is D-dimer. That's more related to micro clotting, small clots that develop in the capillaries as opposed to, to in the arteries. And these can be putting people at risk. And it, it's been related to our pandemic viral infections after that, that people end up with elevations in D-dimer or after getting the vaccination. Platelets, platelets are involved in clotting, right? When we cut ourselves and a scab forms, right? That's the platelets rushing into the area to clot. 
And then there's a ratio that most people don't look at called the platelet lymphocyte ratio. And high levels of that indicate a higher risk for clotting, but also for cancer. Then there's good old inflammation markers. When we have inflammation that develops in the endothelial lining, there's a risk factor, right? The inflammation builds up and clots form inside the tissue and can break off and cause problems. So let's talk about some of those. Well, homocysteine is well known, but it's not tested regularly. I can't tell you how many times I have people bring me their lab work and they haven't been tested for homocysteine. We should know by now that everybody needs to be tested for homocysteine. And it's a very correctable inflammatory marker. It's very common because methylation imbalances in genetics or variants like MTHFR, MTRR, and others are common in the world today in our population. And that affects the levels of homocysteine. When we have poor methylation, the homocysteine builds up and homocysteine has been shown to be an independent risk factor for cardiovascular disease and also for neurologic disease because it builds up in the brain. HSCRP, highly sensitive C-reactive protein. Shocking how few people get this done and it should be commonplace. Everybody, that should be part of everybody's routine exam. And these all put you at risk of cardiovascular. Your patients and clients are at risk of cardiovascular inflammation and then clotting and disease and can lead to incidents like a stroke or, or a heart attack. A couple of others that are less well-known, myeloperoxidase. Myeloperoxidase causes inflammation inside the artery walls, and it happens, it elevates when the artery wall is damaged. A lot of things damage the artery walls, as we know. Oxidized fats, hydrogenated oils, smoking, and a lot of other exposures can damage the walls and lead to an elevation of myeloperoxidase. There's another one called F2 isoprastines. It, it's elevated when there's oxidative stress in the endothelial lining. And another one is LPPLA2. And it's a very specific marker of inflammation in the vascular system. It's specific for vascular inflammation versus general overall inflammation. And it causes the breakdown of LDL. And so if the LDLs are high, we might have an elevation of LPPLA2, which then causes more inflammation and causes a problem. So those are the inflammatory markers that everybody should be looking at, especially in people at risk. So let's look at things related to lipoprotein. So we have HDL and LDL, which are measured in the routine. HDL is measured, LDL is calculated, high-density lipoproteins and low-density lipoproteins. People refer to HDLs as the good cholesterol and LDLs as the bad cholesterol. In general, HDLs carry the fats away from the cells back to the liver, and the LDLs carry fats from the liver to the artery walls. But here's the thing, they carry it there because there's inflammation detected and it's sent there to repair. And it doesn't mean that, that necessarily we wanna always lower these things, we wanna find out the root cause, what's causing them to be elevated. But there's so much more that we need to look at than just the LDA calculated and the HDL. There's something called 
oxidized LDL. And when the LDLs get oxidized, that's when they cause damage. So we can have somebody with very high levels of LDL, but if they're the right balance, which we'll talk about in a moment, and they're not oxidized, they may not be at high risk. So oxidized LDL is a good thing to measure. So one of the things that is not looked at at all is the particles, the LDL particles, the lipoprotein particles. And we want to look at the number of lipoprotein particles and also the size of the lipoprotein particles. We have large buoyant LDL particles, and those are safer. They're fluffy. They're too big to get embedded in the endothelial lining. Whereas the small dense ones can easily get locked inside of the lining, the uh, endothelial lining, and cause problems, cause a rupture of the lining, cause inflammation in the lining. So we want to have more of the large buoyant ones than the small dense ones. And most doctors don't even look at this. You can have this done at pretty much any lab. You can go to Quest Labs or Cleveland Heart Clinic Labs or even LabCorp. All of these have particle size and density kinds of tests you can do. So it's missed and it's not that expensive. It's maybe $150, $175. So people should be getting this at least once in their lifetime. If they have heart disease risk and their show imbalances, they should be getting these redone every six months to a year as they put things into place to try to correct these imbalances. So like I said, large buoyant, small dense, the large buoyant are what's more palatable, let's just say, more safe for the endothelial lining. So we want to look at the particle number. So if we have a lot of the small ones, it's mostly the percentage wise, we're mostly small, the particle numbers is going to be much larger than if we have more of the large ones. So that's an important number to look at. We want to look at how much is small, how much is medium, and how much is large. These are really important. Plus, we can look at the peak size. We want to look for a peak size that's larger rather than smaller because that's going to say that we have more, right, of the large buoyant ones. The other thing that's looked at within this advanced lipid panel is large HDLs because the large HDLs are more protective of the lining. So we want more of the large HDLs. And when I look at people's large HDLs, they're usually very small. And then apolipoprotein B, that's a component of the LDLs. And when we have too much LDL, we have a higher level. LDLs and VLDL, very low density lipoproteins. So the more of that we have, the more of the VLDLs and LDLs we have that are probably putting somebody at risk. So we want to look at the apolipoprotein E. And finally, the last of the lipoproteins that I think everybody should be looking at is lipoprotein little a. It's usually LP in parentheses, uh, lowercase a. And that's very much controlled by genetics. People who have no genetics for this, even if they have a lot of risk factors, will not see an elevation in LPA. And people who have the genetics, even though they have a great diet and lifestyle, will often see an elevation here. And so it's an independent risk factor for cardiovascular disease. The good news is when we protect the person with all the other things that are controllable more so by diet, even if the LPA is high, the risk goes down. And there are some diet and lifestyle things that can lower LPA. We had a whole episode in the podcast on that. So you can look that up and listen to that one.
So those are the lipoproteins that we should be looking at. We shouldn't just be looking at HDL and calculated LDL. Every now and then I see a lab from a conventional practitioner that does VLDL, but it's rare and never really see the particles done except if I've requested it. So get in the habit of requesting these. Another category that we want to look at is nitric oxide production. Now, elevations in nitric oxide are good because it's a vasodilator. Low levels of nitric oxide, not so good. It contributes to blood pressure, high blood pressure, and endothelial dysfunction. We need nitric oxide to create healthy endothelial linings. So things that, that are related to nitric oxide, it, it's related to an uh, amino acid called arginine. We need plenty of arginine to make nitric oxide. So there's a marker that we can measure called asymmetric dimethyl arginine. And this has to do with, uh, when that's elevated, a decrease in nitric oxide. It gets in the way of nitric oxide, which means increased risk of elevated blood pressure and also increased risk of endothelial damage. There's another one called symmetric dimethyl arginine, and that's also contributing to lowered nitric oxide. So these are things that we, ha we don't really look at very often and I think are really important to look at. So finally, let's look at a few things that are more miscellaneous type, different kinds of mechanisms. So, so we have TMAO, trimethylamine oxide, and that is produced from a breakdown by the gut microbiome of products that contain a lot of choline. So it could be a supplement of choline, but more likely it's going to be choline-containing foods like eggs and meats. Um, so when that's elevated, that can create problems with the endothelial lining, with the heart, uh, with nitric oxide, with a bunch of different things. So there's a lot of speculation about the mechanisms, but we know that people with elevated TMAO are going to have increased risk of cardiovascular disease. Good old vitamin D. We need vitamin D for cardiac function, for thyroid function, for good uh, gut health, for a lot of things. And vitamin D is very int intimately connected. And we want people to have a really good level of vitamin D when we're looking to protect their hearts. The other place to look that is overlooked usually in conventional medicine is thyroid health. If someone has imbalances in thyroid, they're not making enough thyroid hormone, they have antibodies attacking their thyroid hormone, or they're not converting from T4 to T3, the active form of thyroid hormone, then we're gonna see elevations in cholesterol. So we wanna look at that as another risk factor for cardiovascular disease, right? And there's so many ways, diet and lifestyle and supplementation wise, stress management and all that can help support healthy thyroid function. So it really is an important one to look at. And then finally, blood sugar, right? Elevated insulin contributes to high blood pressure. Elevated insulin contributes to receptor resistance so thyroid receptor resistance, insulin receptor resistance, all kinds of receptor resistance. So we want to be looking at that. So we want to look at fasting glucose, but then we really need to look at A1C and insulin because if those things are elevated, then we're going to see a higher risk of blood sugar imbalance, which is contributory to cardiovascular. High levels of insulin, hyperinsulinemia, is actually an independent risk factor related to sudden death from heart attack. Whoa, that's big. 
So controlling blood sugar and measuring all the factors around it, not just waiting for fasting blood sugar to go up, because it's oftentimes the last thing to go up. I also want to get back to homocysteine, because I mentioned homocysteine as an inflammatory marker. I mentioned it in relationship to the methylation pathways. It's one that when we see it elevated, normally, usually, we can address that with B vitamin supplementation. Vitamin B6, B12, folate, and also the overlooked one is vitamin B2. So this is it. We need to protect people. We need to protect ourselves. So if you have any kind of cardiovascular history, any kind of genetic factors that predispose that you know of, and you're over 50 and just want to make sure that you're not one of the very many people who, like my parents, died suddenly of heart disease without even knowing they had it, then get these tests done. You know, if you live in or you practice in a state that doesn't have that in your health coach, then you've got to work with a doctor who is licensed to order the blood test. But in most states, people can just walk in and order it themselves. I have an arrangement with a lab called Your Lab Work. Um, you can go to runmylabs.com and you can see all of these tests listed. And you can just send people there and they can order their own blood work. And then if it's not within your scope to order it, then you don't get accused of you know, practicing medicine without a license by ordering lab tests. They're ordering it themselves, right? And it's an empowerment thing. People need to be empowered to take charge of their own health. So we're in a position as practitioners to be able to help people to avoid, you know, the number one killer is cardiovascular disease, right? And I mentioned a few of these markers are also related to cancer risk, the inflammatory markers. So we can help people avoid the most common causes of avoidable death in our country and in the world. So take charge, teach people how to eat right and test right and, and we can make a difference in this broken system. So I encourage you to go to the show notes page. We'll have some resources there that you can get, go deeper, explore some of the podcast episodes, the reInvent Healthcare podcast episodes on cardiovascular risk and some of the nutrients and take charge, help people to take charge of their health, take charge of your own health first as well. So until next time, shine on. Thanks for listening to Reinvent Healthcare. We are part of the movement to change healthcare for the better. If you liked this episode, leave a rating and a review. And for more resources to support you in growing a thriving and fulfilling practice, visit our website at inemethod.com.